It's October 21st, and I'm thinking about skills. This is Cockatrice Nuggets with Rich Frazier, serving you up a heaping helping of RPG nuggets straight to your gaming table. So basically, when I uh, use a skill in combat, I like to say that the person uses their turn, right? You want to take a minute to perceive what's around you, roll a perception check, that takes a turn. You want to take a, a, a jump over that, uh, that chasm, then that's going to take a turn. Is it going to use up your actions? Um, a lot of the new 5th edition material is kind of blurring those lines for me. It's making it so um, you can use some of your skills in the middle of an action. Uh, or in the middle of your turn, maybe as a movement action or maybe as something else. Now this is fine, it makes sense, right? Part of your movement can be, you know, using your athletics to, um, or using your acrobatics to land on the other side of a, um, a pit or, you know, using your strength to pull yourself up over something. Um, but this is just not how I, I, I envision the rules working. So uh, this, is, this is one of the big problems with 5th edition, I think, uh, the wishy-washy rules, you know? They don't explain things specifically, you know? Athletics can be used as part of your movement. Acrobatics can be used as part of your movement. Uh, what's the difference between smashing a door and picking a lock? How long do these things actually take? Um, it came up in my last session, but not too much. Uh, I, I kind of envision these things taking like a full minute, but then you sit and think about it. Well, couldn't I just run at a door and try and smash it down? And um, yeah, yeah, you definitely could. Um, and it wouldn't take much more than six seconds, right? There's the door, I see it, I charge, right? I can move 30 feet around, so that's good enough, right? Um, the problem comes when um, we need to do these things for a certain time. Um, so now I gotta sit and look at this stuff and I've been thinking about it. So what determines the length of time something takes? Um, I'm thinking, uh, what I'm really thinking about because this came up is lock picking versus smashing a door, right? Um, and I think I'm gonna have to go through all the skills and figure out, you know, what it takes and uh, how long you need to use it and what you need to figure out. Because an intelligence check or a history check to remember something isn't gonna take as long as um, picking a complex lock. And maybe I think that's what it comes down to. Maybe picking a lock and smashing a door can take the same amount of time. If the DC is only 10, that's an easy lock or door, right? So if the DC is 10 to smash a door, maybe you can go through it in six seconds. But if it's 15 or 20, maybe it takes longer. Maybe you have to uh, shoulder up to it a couple times and then eventually it'll bust down. Or, um, you know, maybe you need to finagle that lock. It's in a lock you haven't seen before or it's a very complicated lock and you've studied locks, but it's still gonna take you a little time to manipulate those tumblers just right. And that can be reflected in the higher DC. Um, and, and generally speaking, it you have to wait to try it again, right? Um, someone said something in my last session, well, you can just wait 10 minutes and try it again. And um, I don't know if that's exactly the rules or not, but uh, that's a pin, it's something that I can uh, look up later and uh, figure that out. But, and that brings to the table, you know, well, how often can you try these things? And what, what is the penalty for trying these things, right? Because I don't want to make a roll that means nothing, right? A lot of people use the skills instead of asking the questions, right? I walk in, what can I perceive? I roll a die, I got a 20. Okay, 
So you walk in and you're looking, so you're not going to see any of the secret areas, right? You might notice something that leads to that secret area, you know, there's a table on the center of the wall, but that doesn't mean that you notice the bag sitting behind the table, right? So once you actually search the room and watch, you actually investigate the table, you notice, hey, there's something next to the leg of the table on the other side that I couldn't see when I was standing in the doorway. So I try, I try not to have a role that's gonna be the same thing no matter what's on either side of the role, right? I walk in and I look around the room, what do I see? Same thing as if you roll the 20 on perception, you can only perceive so much. Um, so I don't want players rolling if there's no consequences to the roll, right? Because if there's no difference in the outcome, there's no point in adding randomness to it. Because whatever you see is whatever you see, or whatever happens, whatever happens. Do I need to uh, roll to detect traps if there are no traps there? Uh, this is this is something that I have uh, struggled with, right? Because the second I go, okay, roll for traps, then everybody knows there's a trap there, right? Because I'm not rolling for trap rolling for traps every every ten feet. I'm not. I'm definitely not rolling for traps. You know every, you know, whatever. Um, so I tend not to place a lot of traps like that, you know? I, I tend to place traps as obstacles, not as traps, really, right? The last trap dungeon I ran, there was a dead body at every trap. And that dead body showed how the trap worked, but that didn't mean that they were able to avoid the trap, right? You, just because you know how a trap works doesn't mean you can get past it. You, might, you will definitely have to disable my traps, right? Um, this, of course, is uh, the exception being the double pit trap, right? But then again, there's something to think about there. There's something, it's not just a trap, you know? It's not just a hole in the floor. Um, and, and that was not something they found with a roll. That was something that they were they were poking and prodding for traps. So they they found the hollowness and assumed that there was solid ground on the other side of the trap, and there was not. Um, so I'm thinking about skills a lot, and uh, I think I'm going to sit down and reread the section on skills and see what uh, what the book has to say, and uh, then I'm going to go. Look at some other stuff. Maybe, um, I don't know. I don't know. I know first edition had um, the, the secondary proficiencies, non-weapon proficiencies, I think they were called then. Um, first edition had Dungeoneers and Wilderness Survival Guide, which introduced that stuff. Um, but I, I want to look at some, some older stuff with some stronger rules too, you know, some more um, like prevalent rules. So that would... Uh, maybe give me some idea of how to work things in fifth edition. Because I like to go back to those old rule sets and use things like dungeon turns and um, little things that fifth edition has definitely left out. Um, I uh, think that's all I've got to say on skills right now. So I'm going to do some research and I'll catch you guys soon. So, as I said, I played on Friday. Um, it, uh, it went all right. I was in a bad mood Friday. Uh, I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Um, I didn't eat in the middle of the day, so I, um, 
had a bad afternoon and that lingered on into the night. So the session for me wasn't very good. The session went well though, I think. Um, I did the Halloween thing. We had some uh, bleeding walls. I had uh, shadows attacking from nowhere uh, randomly. Um, I had some creepy stuff going on. Um, it ended up being um, a Mego lair. Uh, so the Mego are Lovecraftian um, bug crustacean kind of things with like eight arms and four legs and they're crazy looking. Um, so I kept having them flash in and out. Um, I'd, I'd pop a picture of them up on the screen and then I'd find a different picture and I'd pop that up on the screen and then I'd find a different picture and pop that up on the screen. Um, and I, I think, I think a couple, I think at least a couple of the, um, players were, were a little, uh, disturbed, kind of freaked out. Um, the, the Don John adventure that I randomly rolled fit amazingly well. Um, I, I kept the one that, uh, I, I had rolled two weeks ago and it had crazy things like, uh, two pillars jetting up from the earth, right? Um, I, I made them of some indestructible material uh, with crazy runes on them in void that didn't make any sense. Um, it had, in most of the rooms, it had these spirals of rocks on the ground. Um, when the players touched them, I made them turning to blood and then seep into the ground disappearing. Uh, I, I did a lot of uh, illusion type things with, um, with the players. I think they had one, two undead encounters, um, one that ended with the meet, meeting the Migo. Um, the Migo used technology, and uh, it works like magic, is what the uh, what Tomo Beast says. So they have like ray guns and illusion projectors and stuff like that. So uh, this was my way around detect magic, right? Because uh, if you go, oh, the walls are bleeding, um, oh, it's magic, so it's probably an illusion. Then it's an illusion. Right? But if uh, there is a technology there that is doing something right, and this is assuming technology is different from magic, right? This is not uh, technology so advanced that it seems like magic. This is like technology that is separate from magic. Um, because magic exists and it's not technology, right? So that's a thing to wrap my head around. Uh, but these, uh, these illusions, right, uh, these technological illusions uh, were placed throughout and to kind of spook the players off, but uh, they didn't fall for it, right, of course, because they're adventurers. Uh, there were times when players generally wanted to leave. They were like, why are we here? And the adventure was, the answer was the adventure. And uh, I think at one time I did say, but there is no adventure, right? This is, you guys wandered in here. This isn't something that you know, I've spent a lot of time planning. You guys wandered in, you literally wandered in here. So it's not, it's not like I'm expecting you to finish this. You can walk out anytime. Um, but they wouldn't have met the Migo. Uh, and the Migo are, um, have been brought by, they've been summoned, right? Is what they said. They were called, I think they said. Um, but it was more like a summon spell, right? Uh, so they don't know why they're here. They just know that they can't leave this area because of these two stones, right? They said their um, their transportation device um, was damaged. I think the players assumed it was a ship. Um, 
I know my players listen to this now, so I don't want to give away stuff too much. But uh, it was definitely not a ship, right? Because it, it's kind of hard to crash a ship underground. Um, and uh, so they were called by, uh, I think they called him He Who Whispers. Uh, or um, I think it was He Who Whispers is what they called him. And they they didn't, the players didn't catch that first. I, I didn't think they would, right? It's, uh, it's vague, so they continued talking, um, and they were like, how do we find this guy? And I said, he was born of the cauldron, right? And uh, the players caught it. That, you know, they were like, oh, wait, this guy who was summoned, right, when we did this magic ritual in this underground place, um, seeks, summon these guys here, you know, called these guys here. So, um, and they can't leave. So now, somehow, they've got to get the warlock down there. Well, they don't have to. They, they agreed to. They said, yeah, we'll try and help you, you know, which, uh, which means nothing, right? It's that they could be, you know, totally lying or just trying to get out of there with, uh, with their lives, which, uh, you know, <laughs> I understand, you know, you got a couple CR5s staring at you and, uh, not that they knew they were CR5s, but, uh, the players guessed if there was a CR associated with these things, they looked about a CR5 and I laughed and I pulled the PDF up on the monitor and showed them that indeed they were CR5 after the uh, encounter. Um, so the Migo let them go. Um, they decided that they were going to go back to the surface to uh, uh, rest and recuperate. So they, uh, upon exiting, I've been, um, I've been asking and the players have been tossing around ideas for a, a group name, right? And uh, I told them if if they didn't come up with a name, then they were going to start getting a name. So immediately coming up from the sewers, right? The guards see them and they're like, hey, it's the sewer rats. So uh, they've got their name now. And no matter what they register with the Guild of Adventuring, they're uh, going to be here for now known as the sewer rats. Um, I think in one of the playtests I called them the Zobek 14 which I kind of liked, uh, but it was kind of weird, right? Because there's a lot of them, and they've gone, gone in and out, and their numbers have gone up and down. So, um, I like the sewer rats. kind of fond of that. Uh, uh, I think it's funny. Um, and they may spend a lot of time in the sewers, right? Or, or they may not, you know? Who knows? Um, but I've got basically an infinite dungeon complex beyond, below the sewers. Um, I've got kind of the first counters for the first three or four levels mapped out. Um, I need to um, make specific encounters. Right now I just have an encounter chart that goes to 20 and I do um, a d6 per level. So um, at that uh, fourth level when they get down there they are on the second level. Uh, once they get down to the fourth level then they will be encountering um, my higher encounters, right? The numbers that are higher on the table. Uh, and I can possibly roll a 24, which is uh, off my chart, which I'll just, you know, keep at the 20, you know. Um, or maybe add, you know, a few things from number 4 or something. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, but I don't think they're going down to Dungeon Level 4 anytime soon. Uh, so, the quest continues for um, the Black Chamber of Akuama, and uh, they, they, they seem like that's what they're going to continue to look for next. So, 
uh, all in all, it was, like I said, it was a good session. Uh, I think it went well. Um, I just didn't have a lot of fun. And that's going to happen sometimes, right? Um, but just because I'm not having a lot of fun, I, I want to try not to spread that around, right? And um, I mentioned there was an issue in the last session, or in my last um, recording. And the player and I actually hashed that out over a text message conversation in the middle of the game. So it was, it added to my unpleasantness, right? Because I don't like when things go wrong, even if it's a misunderstanding or it's not my fault. Or I think what this came down to was the player was feeling targeted because of the rolls of the dice. Um, so uh, the player felt like they weren't contributing. Um, I assured them that they were contributing, but it still didn't feel that way, right? Um, when, when you're not involved as you can be in what's going on around you, just because you're progressing the story doesn't mean that you feel involved, right? Um, it's kind of like the, uh, the Decker in Shadowrun, you know? You go into uh, cyberspace, make a couple rolls, while the whole party plays out combat for an hour and a half. And uh, when it comes to your turn, you make a couple rolls, disarm a couple black ice, and uh, you're into the next node. So it's not as, not as fun necessarily for the Decker player, um, unless something, that's something that they're super into, right? And uh, I, I don't know about later editions, and I think it's really a GM style, right? That you got to bring that player in, into, into what's going on. This falls back on the skills conversation that I had earlier, and I'm thinking I'm working, working in my head some ways to, to make, make give the opportunity for things to happen faster. Or, uh, and, and this this was my fail, right? This was me going to their turn and saying, "You're going to continue doing this thing, so I'm moving on to him," instead of asking. Would you like to continue doing this thing, or should I move on to him? And I think that's that ultimately is my bad, right? Uh, I, I I feel a lot of responsibility for what happens in my gaming group because I orchestrate my gaming group. So, and the only things I can do is change change me, right? This is a this is a theme in my life right now. The only things that I can affect our me, right? If, if there is something that I am unhappy with, I need to not seek ways to change that, but seek to change the way I feel about that or the way I handle that or if I even handle that, right? Um, if there is something that I can do nothing about, I can literally do nothing about it. So I need to not stew on that or uh, think about that or consider it. Well, no, I need to consider it or like make it a focus of my actions. I need to consider what it is, consider what I can do about it, right? Which is generally nothing, right? If it doesn't involve me, I can't do anything about it. Um, but in this case, it does involve me, right? And I have a large control over it, but I need to focus only on what I can do, right? Um, I, can't, I can't change other players' attitudes about the rules, right? It's like, um, it really reminds me of the season eight conversation that everybody's having with Adventurers League. Uh, it was it was a mess before season eight started, and now that season eight started, everybody's like, yeah, 
it's okay, it's fine, you know, and uh, everybody at my table just just stopped playing AL because of season eight. Um, I don't, I don't know if they've, most of them have tried it. It from what I said, what it sounded like, they didn't because it sounded like they didn't like it, and that's fine, right? You know, it's it's really different. It's really different than conventional D and D. For those of you who don't know, they've gone to um, instead of experience points, they're giving um, uh, fractions of levels. Basically, I think it's uh, four for tier one, and um, beyond tier one, it's eight points, right? And you get these either per hour of play or per goal accomplished. So it's kind of like milestone experience, but split up a little more. Um, and I really like this. I tried this in my last campaign and it worked really well. Um, I, I, well, so I tried hours in my last campaign and it worked okay. Uh, I felt that there were times when they would sit and argue for a long time about a specific thing. They could argue for 45 minutes or an hour and, well, not argue, but discuss, right? Um, and that could, that, I didn't count that hour, right? So that goes back to these, like, plot points, you know? So, okay, you've accomplished this, you, you get a plot point, you know? So, um, and they've gone to uh, treasure points instead of gold. There was a lot of pushback on that because um, it seems artificial to show up in a dragon's lair, find a magical sword, and then nobody gets to pick it up. You have to go back to town and spend treasure points to acquire it. Um, and basically, it's just an unlock. People say it feels very World of Warcraft, um, which uh, which is ironic because that's a new thing in World of Warcraft. The old ways of World of Warcraft was this thing dropped and one person had to take it no matter what it was. Uh, and uh, I, I feel the new ways that World of Warcraft and AL do it uh, work a lot better. It, it's um, that that paladin sword doesn't go to waste if there's no paladin in the party. Um, it just goes on the market. Everybody gets treasure points that they can apply to something else. Um, but at any rate, uh, I don't remember what my point was with that. Um, so I think I'm just going to stop there and uh, publish this episode.